The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are jumping back into the Gospel of Luke. And as we're only a few weeks away from Easter, uh, we are in the final week of Jesus' life chronologically. We will not get to the crucifixion uh, before we come to April 9th. And, And I would love to invite you to come in person to any of our services on that day. You can go to summitonline.tv to find all of that information Uh, But if you choose to engage online, we would love, love to even meet you in this space, knowing that on that Sunday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And as we enter Monday, this is Monday of the last week of Jesus' life, I'm going to read just a few verses out of Luke chapter 19, 45 through 48. It's a very short passage, but I need to paint the picture first. Because the picture is not really shown in the few verses that Luke records. But between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know a bunch that's going on within the temple. And then also there's some historical facts that we need to at least line out a little bit to understand why Jesus did what he did and says what he says in these few verses. So it's Monday Jesus has come in the prior day to Jerusalem. Everyone thought it was going to be incredible. They lined the streets. They threw off their cloaks. He's riding in on a donkey. Everyone expects this to be the crowning moment of Jesus. And he walks into Jerusalem. He sees the temple. And what does he do? He turns around and he leaves. He goes right back to Bethany and Bethpage. And as he's sitting there having dinner, he's thinking through what the next week has to unfold. He thinks through what is going to transpire for him. And he knows it's going to be a lot. So Monday morning, he wakes up early. He comes back over the Mount of Olives as they are walking. They're singing the Hallel Psalms. Those are Psalms 120 through 134. They were traditionally sung as you approach Jerusalem, the city of God. You would sing those Psalms out loud as a moment of worship. As you approach the temple of God, they're singing these Psalms. The city is alive It's alive with pilgrims, the wealthiest of whom come every year to this Passover festival. They fill the streets of Jerusalem every year because they can afford to go. For the poorer worshipers of God, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And they just so happened to pick the one year where Jesus is back. Now, Jesus has been to Jerusalem for the Passover festival before, but it has been a year and a half since he's stepped foot in Jerusalem other than the day before. And so the buzz is still palpable. People are so excited about what is going to happen. And then as Jesus walks into Jerusalem, having just sung the Hillel Psalms, the disgrace that has befallen his father's house, the temple of God, It meets him face to face. He sees it and he is absolutely floored, floored with what he is seeing. How disrespectful people are being of his father's house. There's animals everywhere. There's upset worshipers because they're being fleeced for every dime they have. There's crooks around every corner and Jesus can see this. It's more, than a, it's more like a circus than really a high religious festival. 
In fact, it literally, literally what people began to call this season, this Passover festival, is they began to call it the Bazaar of Annas. And Annas was the high priest during much of Jesus' life. At this particular moment, Caiaphas, his son-in-law, is the actual high priest, but Annas, he still runs the whole show. And he is the one who is most literally profiting off of everything that Jesus is just disgusted by. It's Annas who is patting his pockets at the expense of those who truly, truly are just coming to worship God. The picture is terrible. Here's why. Okay, this is historically proven. When you would walk into the temple to offer a sacrifice to God, you come as a worshiper knowing that you're not perfect. I want to offer a sacrifice to God. You might bring a lamb from your own flock to offer as a sacrifice to God and a sacrifice that God would see as pleasing. But the priest sitting at the table would go, oh, do you see that hind leg? There's a defect there. And you can't offer a defected animal to God. So here, switch out for one of our blemish-free animals. Here, we'll we'll take yours from you. You only have to pay a few more dollars to get one of our blemish-free sacrifices. And then you can go offer that to the Lord. Now, here's the problem. When you buy their blemish-free lamb, uh, there's an exchange rate that has to occur. You come in with Roman currency, the denarii, denarius, however you want to say it. You come in with that because that's what's accepted around the world. Just just like for you and me, the dollar can be really spent anywhere. You wanted to have denarii, but in the temple, they used temple currency. It was accepted nowhere else. But you couldn't buy the lamb without having temple currency, and the exchange rate was just a mere 20%. So you hand them your denarii and they hand you back temple currency that you then buy your lamb with. You've just now lost 20% of your money and the lamb you brought because it was considered blemished. And then that was before you paid the temple tax. Now the temple tax isn't a huge sum of money, but it is completely unbiblical. What it said was you had to pay a half a shekel to enter into the temple to worship. Now, a half a shekel in today's money is $17, roughly. Let's just round it up to 20 with inflation. It's not an obscene amount of money, but every time you wanted to come and worship God, you had to pay that half a shekel to enter into the temple. It was the temple tax. It's how the priests fed themselves. It's how the high priests became very wealthy. Now, don't forget... You couldn't pay that with Roman money. You had to pay that with temple currency with the 20% exchange rate on top of it. And Jesus sees all of this. He sees the wealthy who are losing their money to the high priest. He sees the poor who for them, this is equivalent to a trip to the Vatican. This is as big as it gets. This is where you want to go. If you are a follower of God, And he sees them all just being abused and used. And he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it at all because that's not the purpose of the temple of God. And so he'll say that. He'll say that and he'll speak against the central bank moguls that are profiting off worship. Something that God's never going to be too pleased with. And here's what he says, Luke chapter 19, verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those 
who were selling, okay? So those who were exchanging money and those who were selling kosher or blemish-free animals, that he began to drive them out going, this is not right. Mark tells us that Jesus actually began to flip over the tables of the money changers. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. So he, he doesn't have the strength to tear down the, the sheep pens, but the, the pigeon tables and the money tables, he, he flips those over in rage over how his father's temple is being just destroyed for human gain. He's so appalled and he declares why. He, he says it in the next verse, Luke 19, verse 46. He says, it is written... My house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. You've made it a den of robbers. You've caused something that's supposed to be so good and so pure and available to all to be unreachable for many because they can't afford it and lucrative for a very select few. You've made it in to a den of robbers, what is supposed to be a house of prayer. He's quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, when he says this. And here's what it says. These I will bring to my holy mountain. I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Whatever they bring, I will accept because they're coming to worship me. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. A place to worship God and to lift up prayer. The temple of God is supposed to be a place where the people of God can commune with the heavenly father. That's why he calls it a house of prayer. It's not saying that you go there just to ask for stuff. It's saying you go there to meet with God. You go there to pray, to engage and commune with the heavenly father, not a place where you're fleeced for every last nickel. And Jesus cannot tolerate that. The temple has been turned into a money-making racket for the religious elite, and Jesus won't stand for it. This is my father's house, built by David and his son Solomon. How dare you use it for your own gain? I will not allow this. That's a bold move on Jesus' part, because he is standing up to the powerful in the community. He's standing up to the religious elite that have all of the pull within the community, but he will not allow his father's house to be made a mockery. He won't allow it. He can't allow it. And then Luke, once again, being relatively short in his explanation, he goes on to explain in the next two verses, Luke 19, 47 and 48. He says, every day Jesus continued to teach in the temple. So they didn't kick him out. He came in and made quite a scene, but they didn't kick him out. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people, they kept trying to kill him. They were trying to get rid of Jesus, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. All those pilgrims who had come to worship saw something different in Jesus, and they wanted to know what he had to say. Not what the religious elite who stole every dime from them had to say. They wanted to know what Jesus had to say. And so they had a problem. A very popular man that they needed to get rid of. 
And they couldn't. They couldn't find a way to do it. And Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' life, we'll see this here next Sunday, uh, was called the day of questioning. Jesus came in and the religious leaders tried to trap him in his words, but they couldn't do it. And then we have Wednesday and Thursday and we have the final, we have the last supper and we have the crucifixion. We have everything happening right there in the temple courts. It's all right there. And all the while they're, they're hanging out behind the scenes, looking, trying to trap him, trying to find a way to get rid of him. It infuriates the religious leaders that they have no recourse. But what can you do when everyone likes him, when he's the most popular man in town? They silently stew as he teaches his words of life to all those who will listen. Can can you imagine? Can you imagine standing in the background as the Son of God preaches life and eternity? Answer some of the biggest questions there are, and the whole time you're just angry about that. You're mad and can't believe that he's taken your platform. But little do they know, there's a fix to their problem coming. There's one of the 12, Judas, who for 30 pieces of silver, probably the same silver that they had taken for the worship of God, 30 pieces of silver would be given to him to betray the Son of God. They didn't know their rescuer. They didn't know their moment was going to come in the form of him, but he would come. And it's Mark who tells us that it's actually fear who drove the religious leaders to this terrible action. It was not murderous insight. It wasn't something that they just had to get rid of Jesus. It was fear because they knew they were going to lose everything. And the fear of losing everything can drive people to do some very terrible things. So that was the motivation behind this. Mark tells it, Mark eleven eighteen. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, to kill Jesus. See the next phrase. Because they feared him. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. They were supposed to be the teachers. They were the rabbis. They were the ones who controlled the narrative and who made a lot of money doing it. And Jesus came in and he just spoke truth in life. And they were afraid of losing it all. And church, I I ask you, What do we do with this story? A story of Jesus coming into the temple on Monday morning, flipping over a bunch of tables, really taking a huge risk. The religious leaders not knowing how to respond. They don't don't respond and then they find a way eventually to end his life. How do we apply that? Jesus cleansing the temple. How do we apply that to our lives? Well, first we must be careful. We must be careful how we apply it because Luke is not telling us this story to remind us that Jesus' house needs to be free from animals and deceitful people. Okay, that's not the purpose. That's not why Luke records this. This passage is not just about the temple, but instead it's about what people will do with the dwelling place of God. It's about 
how people will corrupt what is supposed to be pure. And right now, as we sit here 2,000 years after Jesus, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The Romans took care of that. But God still has a dwelling place. The indwelling of his Holy Spirit is in all of us, all of those who have chosen Jesus, who have decided to place our faith in him. The Bible says very clearly that God dwells in the hearts of his creation. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in the hearts of those who faithfully choose to follow him. We see that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know? Don't you know? that Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is in you, whom you have received from God. You don't have to travel to Jerusalem anymore to be in the presence of God. He's right here in your heart through the Holy Spirit. The temple is obsolete because you now, you are the temple. God is no longer distant and accessible only through sacrifice and having enough money to get to Jerusalem. That's not how it works anymore. You have access to him any moment of any day because he lives in you. In you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, church, do you live in such a manner as to honor the God that resides in you? If you look at your life, do you live in such a way as to honor the God who resides in you? How often do you abuse the temple? And I'm not talking about your physical health. That is a conversation I think we need to have. And I think being physically healthy is something that God honors because we are his temple. But that's not the point I'm trying to make today. I want to know how often do you use your life to gain personally from God? Hey, I know you're with me and I need you to do this for me I, because you owe me. I need you to do this. We don't acknowledge our God-given purpose as his dwelling place. We just think, eh, it's beneficial to me that he's near. How often do we abuse that? If Jesus walked into your heart today, okay? It's Monday morning, hypothetically. He walks into the temple courts in Jerusalem. Now it's whatever day of the week you're listening to this. And he walks into your heart. Would he see faithful obedience and worship? Or would he start flipping over tables? I think it's important that you wrestle with that for a moment. If Jesus walked into the temple, would he see faithful obedience and worship? Or would he start flipping over tables? Only you can answer this. But just as the temple in Jerusalem was easily corrupted by greedy, evil men who used God for their own gain, so too your heart and my heart can be corrupted for the same means. Evil, greedy people who choose to ignore God for their own gain. I hope that's not you. 
I hope that's not me. But if it is, if it is, it's time to clean out the evil. It's time to clean out the evil because Jesus won't tolerate it. Your temple is meant to be a house of prayer, a place where you meet with the God of the universe who made you and loves you enough to send his one and only son to die for you. It's supposed to be a space that is pure and good, free from deceit and evil. He'll help you clean it out if you need the help. But today is a reminder that you don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore to find the Lord. He's willing to take up residence right inside your heart. And is your heart a temple that's worthy for him? If it's not, then today, church, may it be the cleaning day. The day where you clean out the evil. Because he wants to reside in you and with you. He wants to be with you as you do this life. And he wants your heart to be his temple. And I pray today that you can allow that to be true. Father, help us to see how beautiful it is, your desire to commune and to be with us, to live with us, to walk with us, to talk with us. God, may we create through your Holy Spirit and through your help and by your grace, may we create environments in a temple where you can reside in purity, in faith and in hope. And God, where we fall short, may you come and and help us just clean up the evil things that find their way in. We want to be your temples. So God, help us be just that. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.